And if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 47. We're continuing our study, understanding the New Testament church, and uh, uh, continuing a continuation. We did have a, a membership last week, as uh, uh, Raymond would join us, and so I just wanted to kind of give a little reminder. I did this several years ago, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, maybe longer, but anyways. And uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we're going to look at this. Uh, we see, and so this week I'm going to talk a little bit more about the church, and the next week, uh, Lord willing, I will talk about why, is there a membership uh, within the church? Why do we have membership? Is the membership actually a biblical thing, where you actually physically join a local assembly? And uh, so I can go down, I don't want to go down that today, uh, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, here at the church, here on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the, ch- the believers, in verse 41, then they that gladly received his word, the people are saved, then they were baptized, right? And, and uh, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word, Acts 2, 41, and then they gladly received his word, so they're saved, they're born again, were baptized, second, right, they're and then, in the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So you have 120 believers there at the church of Jerusalem. Added unto them were 3,000 people. 3,120 people there on the day of Pentecost. God did something amazing. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So God is adding unto the membership of that local assembly. Remember, and, uh, but we're going to look at this here in just a moment, but if you think about it, a church is a doctrinally unified body of saved, scripturally baptized believers who have voluntarily united together for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is not just evangelism, and uh, we'll talk about that here shortly, but a little illustration for you. Quite often when people are encouraged to put aside Whatever is preventing them from attending services regularly, they will say, well, I really should be there, but I think God understands. God has gone on record in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, is saying, not forsaken the assembly. He does not understand why some of his people willfully hold to habits of forsaking the assembly. God does understand that we need to meet to praise him and study his word. God understands that others need the encouragement of our presence. We are a family that he put together. He does understand group fellowship, the power of people meeting together for mutual strengthening. But do we understand those things? Many times we do not. And that is why so many allow Satan to bring one little excuse after another into their lives until they are separated from our God and his assembly. Let us pray that God will help us to understand the need, the purpose, and the power of attendance to Bible classes and worship services whenever the doors are open. Let us pray for the courage to do our part in making the gathering of saints a time of love, praise, and spiritual growth. It is a matter of spiritual life and death, really not for us, but also for others whom we are influencing. Think about it. And uh, who are we as a church? What is a church? What is our mission? What is our vision? Why do we do what we do in the church? Why do we support missions? The answer to these questions reveals what it means to be a biblical New Testament church and the responsibility of its members. There is a great need for biblical instruction on what are the obligations of those who are joined in membership to Bible-believing churches. As we look at the Scriptures, I'd also ask you to search the Scriptures to see what God has to say about local assemblies of believers. Now, as you look at the Scriptures, uh, just in short, you will find that of the 115 uh, uses of the word ekklesia, the the Greek word for church, uh, of those 115 uses in the scriptures, you will find that 107 of them will have a direct reference to local assemblies. Now the very word ekklesia, ek, uh, if you you pull it apart uh, and you look at the derivations of that word, the word ek in Greek is out of, uh, and kaleo is to call a called out assembly, and this is a calling together of people. Now, uh, I spoke about this last week, and I just want to reference this real quick in review, but the fact is, if we as a church lose our focus, as he would tell, as Jesus would tell the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, thou hast left thy first love. If we lose sight of a love for Jesus and the great commission, 
the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Turn with me here to Matthew chapter 28. Just a little bit of review for you. But in Matthew chapter 28, the first book here in the New Testament, Jesus, as he's departing into heaven, he's resurrected, he's been on earth 40 days, and as he's about ready to ascend into heaven, he gives his disciples a parting passage, a parting message. And he tells them in verse 18 of Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. So he's talking to his disciples here. And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But it's not, so he says, teach. So you're giving out the gospel. There's baptisms. But then he also says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So it's not just evangelism, it's evangelism, it's discipleship, it's reproducing. A church, let me just give this in short, and I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting a little bit ahead, but I want you to keep this in mind. We are a physical being. Now, we also have a spirit and a soul, I understand that. We're a body, soul, and spirit. But a church is a spiritual organism. The Spirit of God wants to be amongst His people. A spiritual organism that, now, God has given life. What did He give to Noah? He said, go, ye, you know, go and multiply, replenish the earth. Organisms are to reproduce. Churches are to reproduce. The emphasis, my desire for this church in going down the road is to disciple people, to get them to a place where they can disciple others, and then as they are discipled and they're growing and they're learning, you know, eventually have, you know, kind of doing Bible Institute and those sorts of things, and then have uh, people go out and start churches elsewhere. That is the goal of a New Testament church, to reproduce itself. So they go out, and there's places all over the North that do not have any church, and they need a church, they need God's word, they need the gospel, they need a pastor, they need people that love Jesus. To reproduce yourself. We have children to reproduce the humanity. Churches, as a spiritual organism, ought to reproduce themselves. That is our endeavor. So it's not just to get people saved into the church, it's to get them saved, that's being born again. That's an infant being born. But I don't want my daughter to say as an infant her entire life. Now, she's almost five years old. She's growing. I want her to grow up. Do I love my daughter? Absolutely. But, I, you know, there's a day that she'll move out of the house. I look forward to that day. Someday that I'll get to be with my wife. And you know what? Before my daughter was born, I was thinking, man, I'm loving this. I get to date my wife all the time. And I love our daughter. I get, as I said, I get to cuddle with her in the morning. And I love it. It's amazing. But there's coming a day she'll grow up and she'll leave the house. You know, church ought to have it where people get to, they begin to grow and they're disciple and they learn more about Christ and they go out and, and now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But the fact is, if we lose sight of Jesus and we lose sight of this great commission of reproducing ourselves, we've lost sight. And if you lose your focus, God says here in Revelation chapter 2, Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. We, if we lose our focus, God says you either repent or I'm holding my spirit. That candlestick, I'll remove the light from that church. Now a church, can re, a church might be able to reproduce, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God's hands upon it. Under, if you understand what the local church is and your attachment to it and obedience, man, it's not upon a person. We're building ourselves upon Jesus as the head. You see, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest institution that the world has ever known. Christ established it during his personal ministry. He is its head, Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. That's a portion of that verse, but you can look it up. Ephesians 5, 23. Colossians 1, 18. Jesus promised that he would be with it through the ages, every local New Testament church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. That thou should, uh, knowest how thou should, ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the church. Behave thyself. Well, you need to learn how to behave. And God gives us that in his word. 
He gave us the Great Commission. He gave us the ordinances, baptism, and Lord's Supper. For he went to the cross. He loved the church. He wants his churches to honor and glorify him. Why do we start our services on Sunday morning and some of the other services? Why do I start it with praises? Because I want us to realize that this service is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I want us to get our hearts. And you know, as we said in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, in our Sunday school hour, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee, whose mind is stayed upon thee. That's Isaiah 26, 3. Keep your mind upon Christ. So what is the church? And we're going to look at this, but let us open up in a word of prayer. I'm excited. I love the church. When you think on this very idea this morning, man, if we love what Jesus loves, it'll change you. It'll change you. You'll get fired up. You know what? You'll realize I have a part. Every one of you are absolutely important. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. God, I sure need your help this morning. Lord, help me not to get ahead of you. I pray that the truths that are spoken would be true, accurate, precise. And Father, that each and every person here would, number one, see if, know if they're saved. Number two, they'd follow through on biblical, scriptural baptism. And then they would follow through desiring membership. Lord, may we get involved. Lord, the hour is late and we don't have much time left before Jesus returns. Father, I pray that you'd help us be faithful. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon thee. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for being our Savior. I pray that you'd encourage and challenge hearts this morning. God, for those who are wavered, I pray that you'd work in their hearts to bring them back. Father, we sure need you. I need your help. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Understanding, and there's an incorrect, universal, mystical-type church uh, idea that's out there, uh, many times referred to as the Catholic Church or some universal entity, but uh, is this scripturally based? In fact, in Plato, uh, a, one of the philosophers of the past, from 429 to 347 B.C., Plato determined that reality was in the universal or oversoul. In his thinking, each man had a soul, was part of the universal oversoul, this whole universal entity. Plato's emphasis on the universal in contrast with the particular led to universalism or Catholicity. Catholicity was the rational outworking of pantheism. This is the doctrine that the universe is God, or the system of idolatry, excuse me, the system of theology in which it is maintained that the universe is the supreme God. One of the heirs of the patristics, what I mean by patristics is the early, the, the, uh, 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 <laughs> patristic like uh, a patriarchy, fathers, okay? You have a matriarchy, that's mothers, patriarchy is fathers, patristics. The early church fathers on their writings was to embrace and to read into scripture the doctrine of Catholicity. The writer to combine Catholic with church was not a New Testament writer. In fact, it was Ignatius in, from the year thirty. A.D. to 107 A.D., who stated wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church, that somehow we're all part of this one universal soul, one universal entity. By the end of the fourth century, the concept of Catholic Church was firmly fixed in ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical means church, writings, and practice, end quotes, Thomas Strauss, I will build my church. And the same thinking today really does pervade the minds of many believers. Uh, this view is inconsistent with Scripture. Now, we do see church used to describe the institution Christ started, Matthew 16, 18. It's an institution. Now, look with me at Galatians chapter 4. When you are saved, this is what we become a part of, at Galatians chapter 4. Look with me here. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4 of Galatians 4. So this idea that we become part of this one big universal entity, uh, totally divorced from one another, total, I mean, there's a lot of problems with this idea, this universal idea. Uh, it creates a lot of problems. There is, but there is a universal thing, and let, I want to show you this. It is here. Look at me, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them 
that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Well, whenever, when, when you get saved, you become a part of a universal family of God. One day, we'll all be together in heaven. One day, we'll all be together. But we'll all be locally together in heaven. We'll be all together. Now, it's universal because that's all of heaven. But we'll all be together one day. When you get saved, you are a part of God's family. You can see that here. You can clearly see that. But before we think really about the local church memberships and what that means, the local church is, and reasons for joining it, it's God's only institution to carry out his work today of evangelism, the Great Commission. As I said, a church is, here's a formal definition, uh, a doctrinally unified, because teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, as Jesus would say, right, in Matthew 28. I hope I'm not going too fast. Let me, I know I get excited and I speak fast, so I, I got to work on that. I, I know that, I apologize. Uh, so if I do speak fast and I lose you, uh, feel free to ask me a question, okay? Um, but a church is defined as a doctrinally unified. Now, look with me at Matthew 20. I want to take you there. And I just want to hamper this point, uh, just really major on this particular point. In verse 19 of Matthew 28, Matthew 28, 19, Sorry, I, I get really excited and, and I go fast and I, I realize I got to slow down. So uh, <laughs> I got the sneering look. So I, I imagine that's what I'm doing. So I apologize for that. And uh, I, I don't know. Anyways, I, 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 I will keep trying to work on it. I promise you. Matthew 28, 19. Okay. Go ye therefore and teach. Now, what are you teaching? All nations, right? Well, he says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you. Well, again, so here is a doctrinally unified body. Your doctrine, you're teaching what Jesus is teaching. You're teaching the scriptures. You're teaching the Bible. Doctrinally unified body of saved, because if you're saved and baptized, right? Scripturally baptized, voluntarily united together for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, verses 18 through 20. That's what Jesus has told us to do. Give out the gospel, disciple and then reproduce. So evangelism, as Jesus would say in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. A church is also a place of godly instruction. We did talk about this last week. Pastors are appointed to it. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. There ought to be godly instruction. 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof. That word oversight is episkopos. Um, and uh, the idea of overseer, right? Bishop, elder, pastor, or shepherd, all synonymous terms in the scripture. But he says, feed the flock of God, which is among you. So it's obviously a very local entity. He's talking to a, a pastor, feed them, feed the people, feed them God's word. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He's talking here to the, the elders and the, the apostles there in the church of Jerusalem. He says, feed the people God's word. A church is to be a place of godly instruction. It is to be a place of headquarters for missions, and I did speak about this last week. In Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, the church of Antioch, laid their hands on them, they prayed and fasted, and they sent them into the ministry of missions to start reproduced churches. The church got together, laid their hands on them, the men prayed, and, and they prayed and fasted, and they sent them out into the ministry. They had the, the, the endorsement of that local church of Antioch to send out into the ministry. We have missionaries over here that we support on a, on a monthly basis. And they have been sent out of their church, and we as another church, we've, we help them to get the gospel to where they've been called to go. A church is also, in Acts chapter 2, uh, a place of godly fellowship. You know what, when you come here, 
It ought not to be a place of bickering and gossip. It ought to be a place that your heart is stirred and encouraged. Man, you can say, hey, how's your week going? Oh, man, it's been struggling. Can I show you what God showed me this week? I mean, it ought to be a place of encouragement and fellowship. And you know what? It's also a church, as the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3.15. The the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. But it says in 1 Timothy 3.15, I want to take you there, just a little bit of uh, refresher on this. It's a local place. Now, how do we have the Bible today? There's churches through the centuries that said, I will not give in to a state church. I will not give in to a national church. I'm going to make Jesus the head, not Caesar. God is the head of the church. I'm going to follow in all these local assemblies that through the centuries, they protected and provided God's word and copied it and made sure it's accurate so that we have the Bible today. And God has used local believers, much like we have here, to protect His Word through the centuries. 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, you can't behave in a universal fashion. In the house of God, which is... And he's talking about how do you behave yourself? Well, when you come to church, there ought to be a proper behavior which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the church. And this idea is also uh, like you have marriage. Marriage is an institution. When I talk about the institution of marriage, I'm not talking about there's some universal marriage. I'm saying that you, uh, I'm married to my wife and you might be married to someone, uh, but that is your marriage. It's individual. It's local. It's, it's pertinent to you. It affects you. And local churches ought to have an effect, but the churches are protectors of biblical truths. The pillar and ground of the truth. Realize this, as Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. There's a protection to perpetuate, to continue to teach what Jesus taught. That's what our responsibility is. I want you to look with me at 2 John 10. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. So you go to Revelation, go to Jude, and then go to 2nd, 3rd John, 2nd John, okay? And go to 2nd John, verse 10. There's only one chapter, so it makes it easy. But in 2nd John, verse 10. In 2 John, verse 10, If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, what doctrine? Well, he's talking about the Scriptures, and uh, the doctrine of Christ. Verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. So there come any, that's verse 9, you can read for context. There come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. If they don't have that doctrine, don't bid him, don't bring him in, don't bid him Godspeed. Look with me at another verse, Romans chapter 16. You see, doctrine is a divider. It's a good thing. It's a protector. It's not an arrogance. And nowhere does God say, doctrinal division ought to, makes you better than anyone else. I'm not saying that. That's not what the Bible says. But it does form a distinction. My family is different than your family. There's some different cultural things. I was actually just having someone made a comment before service with respect to some devotions, and they said that's pretty American. Well, there's cultural differences. We understand that. There's differences. They're not any better. They're just different. Okay? But in Romans chapter 16, uh, verse uh, 17... Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. He says, contrary to the doctrine. There is a clarity of doctrine. Look with me at Galatians chapter 1. Why am I going through this? Because all this idea that everything goes, anything under the umbrella of God or Christ or Christian, it's all acceptable. He says there is the doctrine, the doctrine of Christ. And if a deviation from the doctrine of Christ occurs, it creates division. 
And he says, mark them. Hey, there's a, there is a clarity here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. But though we, or the apostle Paul, he's saying, but though we, or an angel from heaven, Galatians 1, 8. An angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be, what does it say? Accursed. Uh-oh, that's a bad day. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. Let him be accursed. Does it matter what we believe? It does. Because God says there will be accursed. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I sure don't want the wrath of God on me. I don't want God against me. That's what, that's what he says here. It's not me saying it. That's what the Bible says. Another thing for the church, it's a place to exercise your spiritual gifts. It's a place to administer the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's a place, that's uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 33 and 34. Uh, a little bit of review. I'm just, it's a place to exhort one another towards godliness and good works. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Now, I did reference this in the illustration that I, that I put forward this morning. But it's, it's to exhort one another. Is it important? You know, when you come to church, you encourage other people. You might be having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, whatever. But your presence is an encouragement to others. I don't know how many times I've been to church. And man, there's times I'm just, as a pastor, I'm like, I don't really want to go. I can't call out sick. <laughs> you know, it's not that easy to call out sick. And, uh, you know, that whole carnal thing starts there, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. But I go, and that day, God will bring someone, and just the presence of an individual, man, it encourages You encourage me. I trust I encourage you. Sometimes someone will talk about what God's provided for them, a scripture verse or something comes up. And that's the exact verse I need for my encouragement because I'm really struggling. Church is a place to encourage and exhort one another towards godliness and good works. Hey, do you know what God did in my life? You know what God provided? Let me tell you what he can do in your life. It ought to be a place where you're seeing God work in the lives of believers and, and greater things are happening in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. This is exciting. Look at with me what he tells us. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without laboring, or without wavering, excuse me, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to what? To provoke unto love and to good works. Not to be a love. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see what? The day. What day? The day of Jesus' return. The day approaching. Hey, there are people that are leaving churches, churches that are closing their doors, pastors that are quitting the ministry, many of them. But he says, exhort one another, encourage one another, provoke to love, provoke to good works. My, my, my friend, it's exciting to be a part of God's church. It also is a place. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A church is a place to receive comfort and edifying of one another. Comfort. Some of the darkest times of my life, back especially when I was single and in the military, and if it weren't for the brothers in the Lord and my fellow church members, I would well nigh not be where I'm at today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you see, Christian, God loves the local churches. You see, what we're doing here is in fulfillment of what Jesus wanted done. Local churches all over this world, in cities all over this world, that each and every person in their cities, and many times there's very large cities, you know, a million, and, you know, if there's a million or half a million or whatever, man, you could have like 15, 20 churches in these large places. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24, For our comely parts have no need, 
But God had tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, the members in particular. He's talking here to the church of Corinth. He says, if someone's suffering, suffer with them. If they're honored, rejoice with them. Don't get jealous, rejoice with them. And for our comely parts, that idea of comely parts, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't really have the abilities like so-and-so. I don't speak as well as this person. I, I, I'm not as artistic in this area. You know what, I'm really not that important. They don't really need me. What you're saying is that you're not important to the body. You see, God wants you. You attach yourself, much like Raymond did last weekend, attaching himself to the church. And you know what? Same care one for another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Galatians 6, 2, Bear ye one another's burdens. You can only do that in the presence of one another. You say, well, we have Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and all these video chats. Okay, well, we do. But you know what? I think COVID taught us all this technology... It's not the same as just sitting in a room with a person. It's not the same. My spirit connected with their spirit. I mean, yes, I'm talking to them. Yes, it can be encouraging through the technology. But it's not the same to have a handshake, to have a hug. It's not the same. Look with me at Matthew 18. The church is also a place of accountability to one another. I need to hasten here. But Matthew 18, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians 5. Church is also a place of accountability to one another. Matthew 18, 15. Here is Jesus. He started the church with the 12 apostles. And it was empowered there on the day of Pentecost, much like... You know, a child is still a child in the womb. You know, a baby is still a baby in the womb. It's not just a fetus. It's not just some loose cells. It's a baby. And it was empowered. The church was empowered on the day of Pentecost when God gave him the ability to go forward. But verse 15 of Matthew 18, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Hey, if someone's going astray, and uh, maybe there's a maybe I've wronged you, and I didn't. Sometimes I don't realize it, or you've wronged me, and, and you don't know it. I come to you and I say, hey, and you're like, bug off, right? Get lost. Well, I said, okay, let me bring someone else. Let's talk to you. Say, hey, there's a problem. And they're still like, get lost. What does it say? Verse 16, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. Then verse 17, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. That's a local assembly. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Hey, if he won't make it right, and I understand, I haven't always applied this the way it should have been done, and, and, and that is my fault. But this is what God says. Remember in 1 Timothy 3.15, Noah ought to behave thyself? He's telling us how to behave towards one another. If someone's not going to reconcile in the church, they will be church disciplined out. Because is the unity of that church important? Yes. It's very important. Because as Jesus said, if you have care or love for one another, then they'll know you're my disciples. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Another passage, another error here that can many times, in 1 Corinthians really is, uh, the church of Corinth is a church that is a mess. I mean, it is a mess. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 the background on 1 Corinthians 5 is there's a man in the church, he's a church member, and he's sleeping, having relations with his stepmom. That's gross. <laughs> That's just gross. And so the Apostle Paul's like, are you kidding me? Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one into Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
He says, you need, to, you need to church discipline that person out of the church, give them over unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What does that mean? They don't lose their salvation, but they no longer are having the protection of the local church, and they're now out of sight, they're, they're, dis, they're disciplined out of the church, and they're now given without the protection of Christ. They're going to let Satan torment him. The goal of torment is to say, I'm wrong, I repent, hey, I, please forgive me. That's the goal. Let's get right. God's discipline in our lives is not for us to hate God and run into further darkness. It's to say, hey, I've messed up. God, would you please forgive me? He's like, of course I'll forgive you. He comes, and then the, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, this same man, he's like overwhelmed with sorrow and grief for, because of his actions. He comes to the church and is like, hey, will you receive me back? I'm sorry. I repent. I've done wrong. And, and Apostle Paul's like, hey, Forgive the man. Let him back in. He's repented. You know what? We all mess up. But this guy went so long and so far, he's like, you know, get lost. What I'm doing is okay. What I'm doing okay. And, and then look with me, verse 9. He tells us something very telling of the, the, what is required of church members. This is what he tells us of what to avoid as a believer, as a church member. Not only, you're not just a believer, but you've joined yourself, attached yourself to the local church as Jesus is the head. Verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle, that's a letter, not to company with fornicators. Anyone having sexual relations outside of marriage is a fornicator. He says, have no, no company with them, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now have I written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. But what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. He's saying, hey, church body. If there's someone in your midst that's an idolater, a fornicator, a railer, a drunkard, an extortioner, they, there's need for church discipline. Now, church discipline is first going and talking with the person. It's not just kicking them out. But there is a clear guidance on trying to restore someone. D church discipline is this very idea of restoration. I want you to be all that God wants you to be. It's not throwing down, the, you know, sometimes you think of this like Puritan type idea of someone, oh, they messed up. Throw the gavel at them. That's foolish. You always find the all of this, the sin in the church is judged here in the church of Corinth. The first is fornication, and I've mentioned that. Then he reveals to covetous, someone whose love and seeking is more for money uh, than it is for the things of God. An idolater. The most direct sense refers to a worship of a false god. But in a secondary sense, professing Christians who attend pagan feasts and ate things offered to idols, by implications, who's someone whose pursuit of money is more than that of God. A railer, a person whose mouth causes mischief, reviles others, gossips, sows discord. A drunkard, and then it goes on an extortioner. One who robs others, who's unethical in their business practices. Does it matter how we conduct our lives? Yes. Yes, it does. Because you are not representing yourself. Yes, you are. But I want to say I represent him. I'm attached to the church. I'm a Christian. I bear the name of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Now then, it uh, talks about being an ambassador for Christ. Now then, you're ambassador of Christ, as it says. I'll take you there just real quick. The, the, uh, I used to have to repeat that every time while I was in Bible college, and now it's escaping me. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. You're an ambassador. You carry with you Jesus' name. And what people think about Jesus is what they see through your life. How you act, how you respond. That's pretty serious. The church is also a place for protection. In Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. You know what? Sometimes I'll talk with someone and uh, maybe I'm 
you know, I might see something in someone's life and I'm concerned. I'm not coming to judge. I'm just coming to say, hey, I'm concerned. Maybe you're going a wrong direction. There's a place of protection provided by the pastors. It's also a place of protection from false teachers. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. He's, you know, and then verse, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves. Jesus says, hey, there's going to be come in, people come in that are going to try to attack and distort. It's a place of correction, as it talks about 1 Thessalonians 5.12, a place of correction from the pulpit, as it says, admonish you. Hey, from the pulpit, I'm going to talk about things here, and admonishment. Say, this is what the Bible says. It's not that I'm any better than you. I'm not any better. We're all equal, you know, in that idea. We have different jobs, but it's an admonishment. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, he talks about 2 Timothy 4. It's a place of correction from the pew. Remember Matthew 18, 17, if you neglect, shall hear them, tell it unto the church. Hey, one brother is offended. He goes to another person saying, hey, you offended me. You go to that person, you try to correct it. There's a place of correction from the pew. It's a place of corporate prayer. We come together, we pray together, we bear our hearts together, we uh, we, we grieve together. We rejoice together. Man, church ought to be exciting. I want to be a part of what God started. That institution, I want to get on board. It's a place, and, and you think about this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and the apostles, and, and this is the church here uh, in Jerusalem, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You know what? When we eat together, we're still partaking of the very principles and practices of the New Testament church that Jesus started. We're going back 2,000 years. Remember when I graduated from university, I had finished my engineering degree, and while I was there in Seattle, and I was at a number of churches, I always wondered, I said, are there any churches like what Jesus started? I said, that's what I want to be. I want to do it the way Jesus did it. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 24. I had a a number of years ago, there was a man who was my mentor, he was my pastor, and he had gone a wrong direction. This man was my mentor. And one night he called me and he said, I want you to do this for me. Something inside didn't settle well with me on that. I said, let me call the deacons at the church. So I called the deacons at the church. They said, please don't do that, what he had asked me to do. Because in my heart, had I followed through what the pastor called me to do, I would have hurt God's church. I don't want to hurt what God started. That institution, it'd be like me coming into your home and hurting your family. You wouldn't be very happy. I'm thankful the Spirit of God said, you need to call I called the deacons, I called the assistant pastor, and he says, please don't follow through with that. He told me a little bit of what was going on. You see, that pastor who was my mentor, he said, Chris has got my back. I'll follow, but I'll only follow as you follow Christ. You turn your back or want to hurt the local church, I guarantee you I will be against you. I love Jesus. It's important. It really is. In Acts chapter 4, verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Lord, thou art God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. In verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. The believers come together. And there's a boldness to go out and give out the message of the gospel. Church is more than just voting or serving privileges. It's the attachment of ourselves to the body of Christ under the headship of Christ. C.A. Eaton has to say this about fussy church members. He says, when a man enlists in the army, he takes on sacred obligations. If in the midst of a battle he were to quit fighting because the drill sergeant did not call him by his right name, he would be shot. He would not be shot. I do not think he would even be hanged. They would simply throw him in a ditch and away from the sight of noble men. But a full-grown man will unite 
with a local New Testament church assuming the most sacred, binding, and exalted obligations in the world. On the slightest pretext, he will quit. Perhaps a minister has not recognized him on the street, or one of the deacons failed to call him by name in the church. He has asked for money, or he does not like the choir. Any trivial pretext will do. Immediately, he disregards every solemn obligation. If you were to tell him that his sin is worse than perjury, he would be insulted. Yet, it is. If you were to tell him that his disloyalty in this regard is more despicable than the disloyalty of a traitor to his country, he would not believe you. Yet it is. He's saying, someone, they'll easily just quit. I'm done. They didn't do it the way I wanted. And we get all frustrated. How many times have things in your own personal family not gone the way you wanted them to, but yet you're not quitting your family? But in the church... We get that way. We get all upset. We get all frustrated. We get, ah, you know. We don't even think about praying for that person. We just get all up in arms and, ah. You see a display of countercultural, Christ like love towards others and the other members. Jesus would say in John 13 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. There ought to be love in the church. Final illustration, I will conclude. A clergyman once remarked to Sir John John Barbaroli how he wished he could fill his church building the way Sir John and the Hal Orchestra filled every seat of a large concert hall. The conductor replied, you could. You had 100 members who worked together as well as the members of this orchestra. The white cuffs of the violinist stood out against a black background and made a bold horizontal line across the left side of the stage. As they played, those white cuffs remained an almost perfectly straight line which often move up and down very quickly. It was a splendid demonstration of how the members of a great orchestra will not only play the right notes, but will play them together. A great church is somewhat like a great orchestra. The members will uh, not only make the right moves, but they will make them together. They must learn to decide upon a task and execute it with perfect harmony. A musician who always wants to play his favorite piece which may be exceptionally beautiful and refuses to play or else plays very half-heartedly or slowly when another composition is chosen, not only will not help the cause, but will be a detriment to the whole orchestra and may destroy its appeal. And a church member who is out of step with others and who approaches his tasks carelessly or reluctantly may generate sour music. Then the sweet notes, all the rest can draw out. You see, a church ought to be an example. Example in preaching, Evangelism, doctrine, standards, music, family life, order, child training, vision, leadership, and prayer. We realize that we are only sinners, saved by God's grace. None of us are perfect. But by the grace of God, all of us should endeavor to be a good example of what a scriptural church should be. Can a person be a Christian without joining a church? Of course. But it's like a soldier without an army, a student who will not attend school, a salesman without a customer, a sailor without a ship, a bee without a hive, an author without a reader, or a baseball player without a team. In 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, And ye became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples. That means an example to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. You know what our example here ought to be that I want to honor Christ through the institution he started, through the assembly that he's called me to be a part of. You see, is the church costing too much? Final illustration, I'm done. On June 2nd, 1940, a little girl was born. She cost money from the moment she was born. You could talk about your own child. As this baby girl grew from babyhood to girlhood, she cost even more. Her dresses and shoes were more expensive as well as the doctor through all those childhood diseases. She was even more expensive during her school and teen years. She needed long dresses to go to receptions. When she went to college, it was discovered that all college expenses are not listed in the catalog. Then after graduation, she fell in love and married. She had a church wedding, and that too cost a lot of money. Then five months after her marriage, she suddenly sickened, and within a week, she had passed. She had not cost a penny since the day the parents walked away from her grave. As long as the church is alive, she will cost money, cost your time, and the more alive is church, the more money she will cost. Only a dead church, like a dead child, is no longer expensive. We're investing our lives because I want to serve Jesus. Get involved. Get attached. Follow Christ. Get enlisted in the work. 
And may God use you in a great way. I don't know what God's plans are for your life. I don't. Only you do. But man, can we not be a lighthouse for Jesus Christ? So as we come to the time of invitation this morning, I'd like Mrs. Pat to come forward, if I could, please, to play the piano. Christian, what is the obligation that God has called you? It's not just coming. It's how can I get involved in the greatest institution Christ started? How can I be used? You know what? There in 1 Corinthians 12, the comely parts, I'm not really that important. Oh, my friend, you're telling God you're not important. That's not a good thing. God would use a bunch of shepherds to go to the baby's stall. God would use a bunch of fishermen to turn the world upside down. I don't care what your abilities are because it's not about your abilities. It's a vessel, a tool that God can use if you'll just say, Lord, use me. Get involved. Get attached. And may God use you in great ways. The music plays this morning. I'm not sure what the Spirit of God may be speaking to your heart about this morning, but number one, you can't be used by God at all if you're not his child. If you're not a part of the family of God, simply, how do I become a part of God's family? You ask Jesus, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You recognize you're a sinner. Your sins put Jesus on that cross. You deserve God's penalty, which is death and hell. You deserve separation from God forever. But Jesus came to reconcile, and you say, God, forgive me, a sinner. I ask you to be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. And you know what, my friend, if you do that, you're forgiven. You're God's child. And let's get enlisted. Let's serve God. May you do the next step. Saved. You get baptized, add it to the church, and get involved for God. Amen. And if you're a Christian, I trust this encourage your heart. Let's get back up. Let's move forward for Christ. And if you have questions, I'd love to speak with you after the service. If you're interested in membership, talk with me. But man, God got something great for you. Let's go forward and serve Him. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, just a moment longer as you pray and talk with the Spirit of God. You need to kneel at your pew and talk and pray. Come up front, you're welcome to. But wherever you're at, would you just speak as the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and mind this morning? Just a moment longer as the music comes to a close. Man, Christian, it's exciting times. We live in a dark world, but a dark world needs a light. And you can be that light. Get attached. Get active. Serve Christ. Amen. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for the powerful Word of God. Lord, your desire is not only uh, becoming a Christian, and Lord, if there's anyone here watching that does not know Christ, I pray, call out to ask Jesus Christ, forgive them of all their sins and be their Savior. Take it by faith. Father, for those who are Christians, Lord, they'd get enlisted. Join up. And move forward to serve Jesus. God, a church is composed of people united together, scripturally, doctrinally united together for the fulfillment and the propagation of the Great Commission. That we could reproduce, spiritual organisms reproduce. Lord, we thank you for being our gracious Savior. Help us to be all you've called us to be. I love you, Jesus. Give us a wonderful afternoon. In your precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.